Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wake of Corrosion, Episode 9, The Long Road. My name is Professor Ryan, located Bunker A-12. This is a public broadcast to any survivors out there. I'm broadcasting this in the hope that others will hear the story and come forward with more information. I know that there are some among you who find this content disturbing. Therefore, I advise listener discretion going forward. 
<clears throat> Let us begin. Before we return to Elliot and Roman's story today, in the interest of sharing knowledge, I thought I would share with you some of the conversations that I've had with the other residents of Bunker A12 since our last discussion, motivated by the information we shared. I was unfortunately unable to record these as they were quite spontaneous. However, they have all agreed to their knowledge being shared anonymously. One resident spoke of their experiences before the warnings were even issued, something they said they'd yet to share with anyone other than their closest companions here. They told me of how they'd experienced something similar to Mia. Whilst they were reluctant to get into too much detail, it was clear that their experiences were resoundingly similar. They spoke of moving through an office building delivering mail on each floor, only to get to the top floor and find it abandoned. They said that they felt as though the room was cold before they got there, that the temperature control was trying to warm the room up. Curiosity, it seems, got the better of our resident, and they told of walking deeper into the room. All the computers were on and working, but the chairs were empty. Up until the fifth of the fifth one, they said, had a severed forearm resting on the desk, the hand still gripping the mouse, and as they looked further into the room, it was clear that more horrors awaited them as dark spots on the floor became clear. Dark spots of blood. That's when they fled and were caught up in the bustle of others suddenly fleeing the building for what they thought was an entirely different reason. In the rush of evacuation, they pushed this experience to the back of their mind. Our brave resident who shared this information with us understandably found it difficult to retell this story. However, it is such memories that help us to build a picture of our current situation. I believe there are still many repressed memories within the residents of Bunker A12. I hope that by sharing these we can encourage others to come forward. Let us rejoin the brothers now as they make their way home. Our imaginations of both Elliot's journal and Roman's recorder. As it seems... There's some crossover. My perception of the world is forever altered. I can no longer feel comfortable in my own company, nor to some degree in the company of others. Whoever is reading this, for I fear even more now than before that I may be gone before I see another person. This is real. And I will try to be as clear as possible, although I know, even myself right now, that I am only writing this now for fear of, well, a lot of things. After encountering roadblock after roadblock of either cars or collapsed roads and bridges, even stopping to siphon fuel just to continue on our way, Roman and I swapped as the drivers so that I could rest. It was physically and mentally drained. I was racked with guilt over leaving Mia behind, no matter how much I trust Roman and no matter how much I'm sure that he was right about us being much safer without her. I'm still struggling to shake the awful feeling of leaving someone alone in this mess of a world. And part of me even thinks she was right about being much safer in that building now. I just... I can't believe we found someone and... And we just left them. And so we drove down so many roads to just come back again, to retrace our tracks, to be stopped, to go down every single road twice, 
just to find our way. And all that time seeing the destruction, the sporadic destruction, and I have no idea, I cannot think how something like this has happened, how it stops so abruptly, the unrelenting thoughts twisting in my head as I drove down endlessly winding pathways. I was glad to rest my head. I was so mentally drained. But now, now even sleep scares me. The one way I could escape this nightmare-ridden world that we were so reluctantly made part of. Even sleep now has been tainted. So I remember, on the edge of sleep, hearing this tapping sound, like... Like a finger gently tapping glass. My mind didn't consider this to have meaning, or cause, or anything for that matter. I simply ignored it, and drifted away. It's only now that I realise how much of a fucking fool I was for not noticing something, which it just seems so obvious now. There was no sound, other than the tapping. There was no tyres on the road, no engine working away, nothing. I believe between my next bout of sleep and wakefulness is when I lost him. When I finally came to my senses, realising that my rest was never going to be a long-lasting one, I shifted myself up in the back seat felt the soft touches of a cold breeze whipping around the interior of the car. In my bleary state, it took me longer than I care to admit to notice that the driver's side door was wide open. We had stopped. We had stopped, and he was gone. Roman. 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 I sprang out of the car without so much as putting my shoes back on. I paced around the vehicle calling his name. A heavy fog hung in the air, almost fully obscuring the wrecked cars in front of us and the woodland that loomed over the sides of the road. My mind raced and my heart pounded in my throat and for the first time I was alone out here. I ran to the cars ahead and shouted. I ran to the tree line and shouted. I dragged myself back to the car in despair. I know now, had I put my shoes on, I may not have felt what oozed around my foot as I shuffled past the driver's side door. I looked down to see what I'd stepped in, and was greeted by an awful, vinegary stench, like when you disturb a long-since-opened bottle of beer. Instinctively, I stepped away, but then I peered closer. It was a brownish, ichor-like smudge on the ground, with my footprint firmly pressed into it. The stench grew worse as I drew myself closer, but if this had anything to do with Roman's whereabouts, I knew I'd have to overcome it. To my surprise, there was a faint but distinguishable trail of the festering fluid that seemed to be leading away from the car. At that moment... I resolved I had no choice but to follow it. I cleaned my foot and quickly geared up. 
wherever Roman was. I was going to find him. It wasn't until I stepped out of the car for the second time, now with a clear purpose, that I realised just how well I could see. Even if the fog was obscure in the distance, it was 3.30am. It may as well have been the early evening. I briefly dared to glance at the sky before setting out on the trail. If you've read earlier in this journal, or perhaps even stepped outside at night yourself, you won't be surprised when I tell you the sky was awash with glimmering stars, and what I can only think of to describe as cosmic dust. Red into orange, purple into blue. There wasn't time to speculate. I needed to find my brother. I carefully shuffled down the verge into the forest, grateful for the unusual light from above. Once in the forest, all sound was deadened, warped by the tree trunks and the forest floor. Fuck, I thought to myself. It's a fucking pine forest. I always find pine forests to be the eeriest places. There's always something so haunting about the stillness they create. The dead forest floor, the sharp branches that jut out so aggressively from trunks. It's like the trees themselves are threatening you. The only saving grace being that on the blanket of pine needles that litter the ground, the ooze was clear to see. It glistened, threatening to release its vinegar stench. As I ventured further into the forest, I could barely hear the creak of the trees swaying in the wind over the sound of my own heartbeat thundering. I tried to slow it down, tried all sorts of breathing exercises, but no matter what I did, it came back, pounding in my ears with a muffled swell. My pace was sporadic, and I cursed how much I had to keep stopping to re-examine the trail. In some parts it ran dry for metres at a time, and only by hint of that awful stench, or sometimes what I can only imagine with sheer luck, was I able to pick it up again. In the distance of my torchlight, I got sight of a larger patch, glistening. I took the opportunity to rush forward, gaining speed of each step, quickening my pace until... I stumbled over something, falling face first into the pine needles. They pricked at my skin and I quickly brought myself up to standing again, slightly disorientated. I remember in that moment as I fell, the thing I'd caught my foot on. The thing that caused me to fall. It had a soft, almost sponge-like quality to it. There was a definite muted, wet thud. Standing, and attempting to regain my composure, a sickening swell built up from the knot that was building in my stomach. It travelled up my chest tightening my muscles as it made its way up my body. It felt all of a sudden as though there were this twisted ball of muscle in my throat, blocking all but the slightest of breaths. I knew I had to see what I'd tripped on. I couldn't get the most awful thought out of my head, though. I picked up my flashlight, crept back towards the lump on the ground, I cast my light forward to illuminate the outline, fearing every centimetre that it travelled. It was a body. The back of my throat tightened and swelled. I shone the light over the body, actively avoiding the face, merely delaying the inevitable. 
At last, when I had reached the body, I inspected the face. Oh, it wasn't him. Thank fuck it wasn't Roman. I breathed an easier sigh of relief. But the reprieve was only fleeting. Whilst I was grateful it wasn't Roman, so many more questions and thoughts replaced this relief. If there was someone else who died out here, then Roman could have died too. And who killed the person before me? What killed him? I quickly scanned over the body, looking for any clues that might help me find Roman. My curiosity was curbed when I panned the torch over the victim's hands. His arms, down by his sides, hands firmly planted on the ground, out from what looked like under each of his fingernails, reached these translucent, tendril-like threads that stretched out into the ground. That tightening feeling returned, but rather than anticipation, it was disgust. An awful and uncomfortable disgust. The thought of those things creeping under their fingernails made me want to throw up. I could almost feel the sickeningly soft tendrils creeping their way between my finger and nail. I reeled back, not wanting to be near this abomination any longer. Stealing my resolve because I know I had to. I picked back up on the trail of vinegary ooze. I had to find Roman. I had to get him back. Not five minutes later, I came across a sight which I don't believe I will ever erase from my memory. I know already that this is something that I will see over and over again. The brown ooze pooled deeper here, and the smell of old alcohol was overpowering. With each step, my boots stuck slightly into it, and with it, a pang of stench. I had been able to see this from the edge of my torchlight, but it wasn't until now the horror, the true horror, was beginning to form. Like when your eyes can't figure something out, and they almost refuse to see the reality. Part of me wishes that had never changed. About four metres in front of me, and about a metre off the ground, a suspended body hung between two pine trees, like some sort of twisted marionette, head hung limp, lifeless. I knew, beyond all doubt, that was Roman. The thought alone of this moment is sickening. His arms were outstretched and sprouting, so taut from his hands were those same horrible tendrils I'd seen earlier. But these ones were darker, like something was inside them. From his feet were more of the same, his boots and socks missing completely. Bare feet pulled tight and tethered to the tree. All underneath the nails, all twenty slithered their way in. With a will, I'm still uncertain how I mustered. I pushed this image away and grabbed my brother's limp body. I whispered his name over and over so close to his face I could smell the vinegar on his breath. On his breath. He was still breathing. 
Roman was still alive. I wrapped my hands around his head and tried to shake him awake, to jolt him awake, to anything so that he'd wake. I could not rouse him. No matter what I did, he'd always return to that imitation of life. If I didn't do something, he was going to end up like the man I found earlier. I was not going to let that happen. Aware that I would have to touch the tendrils if I was going to get anything done, I started with his feet, holding my breath and daring only to look where was necessary. I yanked the cold, wet things from his feet, paused after the first lot, half expecting an act of retribution from some unknown entity, something I couldn't, wouldn't, dare to fathom the existence of. Nothing happened. I quickly resolved to get the others done before my luck ran out. After the second foot, the tiding of the tendrils from his fingers as his lower body hung limp was audible, like tearing muscle. I wrapped one arm around Roman's torso, aware of how he'd swing out. Bracing myself, holding the weight of him, I quickly removed them both. As his unconscious body slumped onto me, I slipped in the ooze and fell. It seeped through my jeans and my jacket as they stuck rebelliously to my skin. In the moments before I stood up, I caught sight of something. Something that made falling into the ooze that much worse. Looming above us in various husk-like stages were the bodies of animals and people. So many people all strung up from the very tips of their limbs. For the briefest moments it felt as though they all turned their gaze toward me. I know now that they couldn't have done. They were long since gone. Willing myself to ignore it once more, I hefted Roman onto my shoulder and fled. I always thought it a bit silly when people said that humans are capable of incredible feats when saving a life. And yet, through that eerily quiet pine forest with its creaking trees and dead floor, I carried and dragged Roman all the way back to that roadside verge, and fighting with every last ounce of strength before he opened his eyes and was finally able to move again. Despite the thudding heart, Despite the sweat that drenched my aching body, despite the stench that hadn't left my nostril since I found him, I smiled like a stupid child because Roman opened his eyes and looked right at me. After I explained, in the most basic way, that something awful had happened and we needed to return to the car, Roman sort of half came to his senses. He was able to stand and with a guiding hand could muster a stagger, though he veered off to one side or the other occasionally and tackled the verge on all fours. Looking back now, it was like walking a drunk friend home after a long night. As we reached the top of the verge, we jolted to a stop. I could tell that Roman doubted what he saw until he looked up at me, and we shared very much the same expression. From so many of the cars that were dotted all over the road, shoulder and verge, emerged the shadows of people. Some people stopped and simply stared before fading into what looked like dust. Others ran 
in whatever direction they came to first, whilst the remaining few featureless silhouettes drifted from their vehicles and down the verge, all heading the way we'd just been, feet dragging, arms outstretched, led by their hands, their fingernails. Before we could watch any longer, a howling cry came echoing from the forest behind us. In an instant, my pulse was racing and I near enough dragged Roman back to the car. Behind us, the sound of creaking wood intensified. It felt as though it was growing closer. Ignoring it all to panic, I flung open the back door, shoved Roman inside as he mumbled something incoherently. What is it, what is it, Elliot? What, what was that? I slammed his door shut, then dived into the driver's seat, slamming the locks whilst turning the key in the ignition. I've always been quite a cautious driver, but in that moment of panic, (laughs) I'm still shocked I didn't hit one of the many cars in the obstacle course of that road. Daring to glance upward, I swear I could see the thing in the rearview mirror, but in that peculiar light, it was though I could never quite make it out, never quite figure out its form. Whatever it was, it was hideously tall and bore no resemblance to anything I knew of save for the very sharp, jutting nature of the pine trees themselves. That night I drove and drove until the sun came up and I could drive no more. Roman slowly regained his senses after dipping in and out of consciousness. I tried my best to follow a route home, but between the roadblocks of stopped cars and the worryingly aged signposts, I know I took us on a longer route than was needed. Eventually, Roman was able to find out where we were on the map. Luckily, we were only a few miles out from where we were supposed to be. In that quiet, early morning journey, it took some time before I could find the words to tell Roman what had happened. Even when I found the right ones, I cherry-picked the ones that would spare Roman the most haunting details. I told him nothing of the others up in those trees. I spoke not of the way the tendrils seemed to be almost alive as I pulled them from him, and kept it simple, for both our sakes. He, of course, had no knowledge of anything beyond driving us home. He didn't remember stopping, he didn't remember getting out of the car. It was only when we'd spoken a little more that he even recalled one thing that was out of the ordinary. A tapping. On the window. Here Elliot continues writing to discuss another topic. He tells of their journey as they draw closer to Roman's family home. This is the most detailed account of... What is it? Oh, it's it's you. What are you doing out of bed? I've heard that sound before. The one they, the one they heard in the woods. I, just before they let me in here, I heard that sound, that awful screech. I heard the same thing. Callie, come, come, take a seat. Callie, are, are you sure you're ready to be up and about yet? Are you not listening to me? I encountered the same thing. That must mean something, right? 
Apologies, Callie. I, I worry about you. That's all. You're right, though. There must be something we can extract from this. There are far more things out there, Ryan. Far more than this. Do you think... Do you think maybe that what they encountered could be the same one that followed me here? I... Perhaps... I'm, I'm afraid my knowledge of these... Uh, things is limited to what I've shared over these broadcasts, but per perhaps... Hold on one moment. Here, on this map, this is the site of Bunker A-12. And what about that green space, there? Could that be the pine forest they were in? I... I don't see why not, Callie, although there's another here. Just look to the south. They could be close, then? That would explain how you were able to bring their records here to me and, well, survive the journey. It'd take a lot more than that screeching thing to stop me, Ryan. I'm sure it would, Callie, but we're glad you came here, as I'm sure all the survivors out there listening are. This discovery could be groundbreaking in learning Roman and Elliot's whereabouts, and hopefully more information that they now have it would mean... Ryan, I don't mean to be a pessimist, you know... I hope I'll remember soon, but I don't want your hope to be misplaced. It seems strange that I'd be in possession of so many of their accounts and not be with the brothers themselves. Surely they'd want to share their story themselves. Not entirely. This is something I had already considered, and there's still cause for hope. I surmise that given their inquisitive but determined nature, that they could have sent you here to share this with me while seeking out more answers. While I'm yet to review the evidence past where we are currently, I've, I have a feeling that their discoveries and my broadcasts shall at some point overlap. That they, in fact, are the first people to willingly share information with us here at Bunker A12, and you, Callie, were their courier. I hope you're right about this, Ryan. I, I hope that when my memory comes back to me... That's exactly it. Time will tell, Callie. Time will tell. For now, though, I must end the broadcast and see to it that you're cared for. Before I go, can I join you? For the next broadcast, I mean? I want to be part of the evidence review. <laughs> Absolutely, Callie. You're welcome to stay for the rest of this one, and I'll fetch for you what we're able to broadcast once more. For those of you out there... We have just one more piece to review. The remainder of Elliot's entry. Roman was fast asleep when the car wheezed its last breath. I'd had a feeling for a while now that something was up with it. Something just felt off about it. I knew it was only a matter of time. I checked the map before I tried to wake Roman up. It turns out we were within walking distance of the house. Now my only problem is waking him up. I'm still sat in the car, and it's been about half an hour or so. He's still breathing fine, and I saw him twitch a couple of times, so... Well, I think he's alright. I'm hoping that he gets up soon. The radio is all static. I can't seem to pick any signal up. I was really holding out for an emergency broadcast. Aren't there always those sorts of things? <laughs> I say that like I've been here before. 
I don't want to be here at all. I don't want any of this. I'm so tired. I'm, I'm just, I'm just so tired. I feel like I can't remember the last time I had a full night's sleep of actual rest. The onslaught is endless. Every single day something new happens, something that shouldn't be happening. There isn't an hour that goes by where I don't see flashes. Flashes of the horror that chased us in the gloom of the early hours. Flashes of the bodies strung up by their nails in the trees. Of the ethereal glow of the night sky. Of that woman we left behind and whatever awful fate awaits her. Of the shadows. The shadows of people that seem to have replaced everyone but us. And her. Why? Why has everyone vanished? Why does it seem like they're all just echoes of what happened? I can't keep going on like this. I can't keep pretending that I can do this. And yet here we are. Just a few miles from Roman's house. And I brought us here. Against all my better judgement, I ignored the signs for the bunkers on the way here. I could have gone to them. I could have just turned down those roads. Roman was, is, asleep. He wouldn't have known until it was too late. I can't believe I let him convince me so easily that going to his was a good idea. There is nothing good waiting for us there. It's like he's blind to everything that we've seen. The shadows of people as we go through towns and cities, the crumbling buildings, the collapsed roads, the dead trees, everything so fucking broken. And yet, and yet he hopes that Claire is still at home. Just, what, sitting there with the kids waiting for him? <laughs> well, congratulations, Elliot, because we're so close now. And the car's fucked, so I guess we're going to his. Her bunker must be the next stop. It has to be. He'd better wake up soon. No doubt he'll want to record the moment we arrive at his. Every time he has that thing on, I feel... I feel like I have to act normal. I feel like I have to act brave. Oh, Fuck it. It's every time I speak to him. I'm barely holding it together. And for the sake of what? So Roman thinks I'm okay? Thinks I'm not buckling, deteriorating, fucking wasting away inside my own head? I need to stop writing. I need to move on. I need to wake Roman up. I must admit... I can understand why some residents of Bunker A12 find some of these events difficult to believe. But how? How can they be so naive? You must remember, Callie, that no one here, save a small team who volunteer to make repairs and check out external equipment, have left this bunker since this all started over a month ago. But surely they listen to this. Not many, to my knowledge. Then, then I'll speak to them. I'll tell them everything I can remember of the outside. Maybe then they'll take you seriously. Why else do they think we're locked up in here? Callie, I'm not sure that's wise. Indeed, most people do believe that something awful has happened outside. 
and the ruin and desolation described by the team who venture out occasionally is widely accepted as the truth. But most just think it's an attack, like the ones before, if you remember. They believe that the bunkers are just a precaution. That once the worst of it is over, we'll be contacted to leave. They don't yet want to know. But it's not like that. It's not another country invading, Ryan. It's another fucking place. Another place? Callie, Callie, what made you say that? I, I'm not sure. There's, there's something there. Something on the edge of my mind. The things, the creatures, the destruction, the shadows, they're all part of the same place, area. I'm, I'm not sure, Ryan. I'm, I'm sorry. Go, go rest. I'll end the broadcast and we can discuss this further when you're ready. Survivors from all of us here at Bunker A12, we hope you're safe and warm. And remember, as always, don't wander in the dark. you for listening if you enjoyed our show be sure to give us a rating and review to let others know if you would like to hear news and updates then please follow us on instagram and twitter at wake of corrosion wake of corrosion was written directed and produced by sean pellington with voice acting from kieran walsh as professor ryan brianne leeson as the courier lee pellington as roman sean pellington as elliot with title and credits read by Adele Cliff. Our introduction theme, Shadowlands 5 Antechamber, and outro theme, Phantasm, were created by Kevin MacLeod, sourced from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. Both pieces have been reduced from their originals with fade-out, added voiceover, and radiostatic effects. Morse Code SFX, courtesy of Stephen C. Phillips of MorseCode.world, All other sound effects are self-recorded or sourced from soundsnap.com. For our full list of credits, please visit our website in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.